Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, May 30th, in order to play catch-up on everything that's happened through the first round of the 2023 French Open. Our Crack Rackets team has decided to make today a two-mini-break podcast Tuesday. That's right, two episodes for all of you Crack Rackets fans to enjoy as, again, we play catch-up on everything that's happened so far at the year's second Grand Slam event. Of course, if you listened to this podcast on Sunday, you know I was not particularly impressed with the play we saw on day one of this 2023 French Open. That said, unequivocally, day two, day three, the bar has been raised. We've started to see a wave of upsets, in particular in the women's singles draw. You saw seeds like Sakari, Kvitova, Kudermatova, Bencic, Pliskova. They've all been knocked out already of this 2023 French Open. And I believe big picture, I'm recording this after Tuesday's final play, uh, uh, final day of first round play has concluded. Big picture, I think it's pretty clear. On the WTA Tour, if you've watched any of the tennis here in 2023, we have a big three emerging. Sviantek, Rabakina, Sabalenka. Those are so clearly your three best players in the world right now. And I think the results we've seen throughout the course of round one have not only reaffirmed that fact, but they've also brought to prominence the fact that, and this is a theme that we've been harping on here at Cracked Rackets, I would argue, for two, three, four seasons now. There is so much parity in the best way possible right now in the women's game. So much so that you see this consistent wave of upsets in first rounds of slam after slam event we see unfold. And I'm not saying it happens at every slam. I'm also not saying it's a negative thing at all. I do think the gap between the 46th best player in the world and the 16th best player in the world It's smaller than it's ever been. I also think the gap between the 121st ranked teenager in the world and the established 36th ranked veteran, like that gap is as narrow as we have ever seen on the WTA Tour. And more broadly, why I'm so excited about that fact, yes, we get a wave of upsets, but it means we get really good matches each and every day of this event. And I know I've harped on the women's side right now where we saw a particular wave of upsets on day two. By the way, I mentioned it's a two mini break podcast Tuesday here on this show. Probably should have said this at the start. I'm going to be focused on day two's results. Of course, on our second podcast here tonight, I'm going to focus on all the action we've seen unfold through day number three of this event. But I do think 30,000 foot view, again, looking at these first three days of play or this first round of singles play in the draw. Yes, we got 14 upsets on the women's side. I think we got eight or nine upsets on the men's side. I don't know that any upset feels particularly significant. And while I wouldn't have predicted all of the upsets that we've seen unfold, I don't think any of them particularly shock me thus far. Now, I guess we have one shocking upset. It happened on day three. Spoiler alert, Sabeth Vild over Medvedev. Yeah, that one was a little surprising, but seriously, outside of that, while a scoreline here or there might have been a little bit different than expected, I do think 30,000-foot view, my biggest takeaway through this first round of the 2023 French Open is... It's kind of unfolding as expected. We know who the top dogs are in both the men's and women's singles draws. Outside of that, parity, who's going to be hot? 
you know, again, questions about all of it. I think that's going to be the prevailing theme of the two weeks. I mean, God knows we have seen so many five set matches on the men's side, right? It's a point here, a break there, just countless. And I, I ran the numbers. We had double digit over 15 five set matches in the first round. And while that does feel particularly high as a data point, particularly given what you have 64 first round matches, about a third of them, I would say roughly, not quite 21, but almost 21 of them, roughly a third of them going five sets. That's not something that typically happens, I would say, in the early stages of a slam. That said, again, it speaks to the parity. It speaks to the quality of play, which, as I mentioned, was disappointing on day one. It has certainly stepped up over the courses of days two and three. And again, to catch all of you Cracked Rackets fans up on everything that's happened, I know that was a disorganized introduction, uh, disorganized opening monologue, but to catch you up on everything that's happened so far at this 2023 French Open, it is going to be a two-mini break podcast Tuesday again here on this show to focus on all of day two's first round singles action on our next show. I'll focus on all of day three, which, yes, again, does certainly include Daniil Medvedev being knocked out in five sets by Tiago Sapeth-Vild. I'd argue that's our only serious contender we've had knocked out of this event thus far, which, by the way, makes sense as it's only round one of the tournament. But still, uh, again, days two, days three, that's going to be the focus for us here on Tuesday evening so that come Wednesday for the start of the second round, you all will feel up to date on everything that has happened. Additionally, I know some of you have been asking, and I appreciate all of you who text me in the DM requesting content. There's nothing I appreciate more. Some of you may be afraid to do so. You'll think you're nagging me. Absolutely not. There's nothing I enjoy more than getting a request from our Crack Rackets listeners for specific types of content or specific things you're looking for. Because again, why do we do this here at Crack Rackets? We do it to connect with all of you in the tennis universe to make it continue to make it the most enjoyable sport and the most enjoyable place to hang out and be. Uh, I'm open to requests. One of those requests I know we always get around slam time, GSP Ace of the Day segments. Can I offer you some picks? Can I offer you some predictions? Those will start Wednesday, May 31st, and I will have them for you the rest of this 2023 French Open. So I'm not going to have them in relation to day four, but from day five onwards, I promise we will have GSP Ace of the Day segments for all of you. I won't lie. I guess this is the last little piece of information here in what is, again, a sporadic opening monologue. I was sick as a dog these past couple of days. You try broadcasting what I think Westoff and I went 25 out of 26 days in the month of May. I didn't have a voice yesterday. I was just in no position to be broadcasting, to be podcasting. I needed a day of 17 hours in bed where the only time the covers aren't directly placed over my shoulders when I'm walking to either the restroom or walking to get food for myself. And even sometimes when I was going to get food for myself yesterday, there was still a blanket covered on me. I am healthy. I'm recuperated. I'm re-spirited, reanimated. I'm just ready. I'm ready for the year's second major. And now our content here at Crack Rackets will be as well. So again, too many break podcast Tuesday, catching up on everything that's happened thus far. Starting tomorrow, we have we'll have GSP Ace of the Day predictions, previews for all of you fans. I've already sent the texts. Again, David Kane, Gil Gross, our usual cast of returning champions here on our Crack Rackets Mini Break Podcast. I have sent the texts. We will hopefully have them as well so that we can you know, pick the brains of some of our dear friends here at Cracked Rackets, talk about everything that's happening in the pro tennis world. That said, before I get into day two's results, a shout out as always 
to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the job he does day in, day out, making all this content possible. A shout out as well to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, anything you need from an equipment standpoint, you can find it all at the best prices with our friends at Tennis Point. Just go to tennis-point.com today. Make sure when you do check out, use our promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, and of course, best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Ball. Tennis-Point, symbol not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, eight and a half minute monologue in the books. That's how you know I'm still finding my sea legs here on this podcast. Let's talk about everything that happened on day two of the 2023 French Open. And I think the biggest storyline, again, 30,000 foot view here, looking at what happened on day two of this slam is the pronounced nature, the accentuation of the fact that we just see parody. I I can't emphasize that fact enough from eight to, I mean, I could argue 58 in the rankings, right? Let's just look in particular. The biggest storylines were the the upsets we saw on the women's side. And again, I think that's most indicative of the parody you have throughout the course of the rankings because look, let's look right now and I'm going to look at the race, not the, not the not the rankings. Let's look at the points race this year. Who have been the standout players? Well, Sabalenka is 600 points ahead of Rabakina, who's 1,100 points ahead of Ika, who is 1,000 points ahead of Pagula. There's a pretty clear cut top three, top four. And by the way, the gap between Pagula at four to Benchich at five, 585 points. That's the same gap as Benchich at five, all the way to, you want to say, Donna Vekic, really, who's 620 points behind Benchich. You know, again, four to five is the same gap as five to 15 right now in the points race. Here's what I mean by that. Again, I'll, and I said this on, on Sunday. Iga, as the two-time defending champion, not defending champion, but the two-time French Open winner, she's won two of the last three. And by the way, the third, the player who won the one in between, Barbara Krejcikova, has already been knocked out of this event. Iga's your favorite. There's no doubt about that. If you watched Madrid, if you watched Stuttgart, it's also inescapable, inexcusable almost, to have to exclude Sabalenka from that list. She has to be too. And then who's the hottest of them all? Probably the one who won the title a couple weeks ago in Rome in Elena Rabakina, who also gets a straight set victory to kick off her tournament. All three of your top three seeds do so, as did fourth seeded Jessica Pagula. I'm sorry, but those are the only three players right now I know. Point in, point out, tournament in, tournament out. They're getting to the fourth rounds. They're getting to the quarterfinals. They're getting to the dance floor of the latest stages of this event. Again, given Pagula's quarterfinal streak, she's made the quarterfinal of every big event but one since the City Open back in 2021. Like Those are your four sure things. That's really all you have. Outside of that, look, I mean, Belinda Bencic, first round loss here yesterday. Bencic knocked out in three sets to Avanisian, who's played really good ball of late. Don't get me wrong. And I mean, physically is just far more comfortable sliding in and out of corners than Bencic on its surface. And in particular, you've heard so many players talk about the balls, the conditions, how slow things are this year at Roland Garros. That's never going to be a good thing for Belinda Bencic, who wants to drive flat, slow, you know, or drive flat through the court, try to quick up the, the speed up the pace, not slow things down at all. I mean, Red Clay, Roland Garros has never been Belinda Bencic's best surface. That's why she's never made it to the second week of this event. That said, she's fifth in the points race right now, and I watch 
as much tennis as anyone, folks, she was the fifth best player through the first six weeks of the season or sixth best player, right? If you like Rabakina, Sabalenka, that's your Australian Open final, obviously. Iga immediately threw herself back in the mix. Pagula beats Iga in the first month of the season. She was still extraordinarily consistent in Australia, in the Middle East. And then, of course, you have Bencic and Krejcikova, who really were the other two to win titles or make deep runs week in, week out. And I know Bencic has slowed down a little bit since then. But again, after Sakari gets knocked out by Karolina Mukova, who 40, 40 ranking spot delta between a Mukova and a Sakari right now, and yet I don't think anyone was particularly surprised, A, to see the level from Mukova in that first round match, or B, see Mukova knock off, formally knock off Sakari in that first round. I just don't think it was particularly surprising, you know, in that theme to see a Belinda Bencic, excuse me, knocked out early at this event. Yes, again, by an Evanesian who, you look overall, uh, Evanesian currently what? In the rankings, I'm, I'm trying to find her exactly. I don't want to be wrong. Now with her win, the 20-year-old Russian up to number 107, which is a career high for her. And by the way, looking at the rankings right now, you've got 22-year-old Simona Waltert, who's in the second round. You've got you know, 25-year-old Alonia, Alonia Balsova, who played a bunch of t- spent a bunch of time in college tennis, and now 25 years old, she's at 104 in the world, right around her prime of her career. You've got a 22-year-old Elizabeth Mandlick, a 20-year-old Elena Evanesian, a 16-year-old Mira Andriva, Julie Niemeyer, who's at 110. I know she lost first round, but obviously we've seen exceptional results from her of late. That's what I'm saying. Like all of these names are located. 100 through 115. And I really don't think you have to do that much mental contorting to understand how an Avenesian beats a Belinda Bencic on a day like today. How a Schmidlova goes and beats a Kudermatova. Again, why are the women's upsets the biggest stories? Because here are the seeds who were knocked down on day two. Kavitova, the 10th seed, straight set loss to Cochiaretto. If you have ever watched Elisabetta Cochiaretto play a clay court match, this result should not surprise you in the slightest because... God, can she blast a ball through a clay court regardless of how slow it is. And if she has a little bit more time to get to her corners, which obviously these conditions in Paris provide, she has the sort of weapons, the sort of creativity, that sort of ability to find the outer third and hit you out of the center of her spot, which, by the way, is exactly what she did to Petra Kvitova on this day. I can't say I'm particularly shocked. Like, I agree, Petra Kvitova's ceiling on most surfaces and maybe any surface, I'm still taking her over Coach Iretto on any given day. I don't think it was an out-of-body experience for Coach Iretto to beat Kvitova in round one. I don't think it was an out-of-body experience. Schmidova was just the more consistent player. Like She was the more relentless from the baseline. Kudermatova, who, of course, can get a little slap-happy, who can get a little one-speedy. And, you know, again, when... The power tennis, when the serve plus one game isn't working for Kudermatova, that's when she starts to mix in the slices and kind of rely on her physicality. You just could not do that against Schmidlova on this day, who was just swinging freely. And, you know, again, Schmidlova's another one who, yeah, she's been around for a little bit. There's no doubt about that. But, like, Anna Karolina Schmidlova, 28 years old, 102 in the world, I don't think anyone would call her a bad player. Like, I'm sorry, I just... I know it's an upset. It definitely is an upset. And you look at the numbers, you know, three and one, no doubt qualifies as an upset, particularly given Kudermatova was coming off of a Rome semifinal a couple of weeks earlier. But like, I don't know. I just, I don't find it particularly shocking to see her knocked out. 
Every so often, Sloane Stevens likes to throw this at us. And don't forget, Sloane Stevens, what, last year? I thought she was pretty good at the French Open. If memory serves me correct, didn't she make the fourth round of the French Open last year? I'll look this up real quickly. Sloane Stevens, who, of course, was a finalist at the French Open in the past. Yeah, last year, despite coming in playing horrible tennis, she made uh, not horrible tennis, but we know what she's been since the start of really August 2020. Sloane has not been the same player she was post-pandemic that she was pre. And that's not meant to be a knock on her. That's that ha- I mean, I don't know how it could be anything but a knock on her. It's not meant to be like a personal, she's made terrible choices, and why isn't she focused the way she needs to be at this stage of her career? Like That is not the point I'm making at all. I also think it's fair to say to not consider Sloane Stevens a perennial top 20 player at this point of her career. If you do consider her a top 20 perennial uh, player perennially, I want to hear that argument because that to me is the one you got to comport yourself to make. And yet, through all of her struggles, fourth-round French Open 2021, quarterfinals French Open 2022, obviously she was a finalist at the French Open in 2018, and she's made the fourth round or further in one, two, three, four, four out of five, five out of six, six out of seven, six out of eight, seven out of nine, eight out of the last ten times she has played the French Open. That's live math for you, folks. Eight out of the last ten times she's played the French Open, she's made at least the fourth round. So you can't sit here and make a coherent argument. Sorry, I don't know why the F-bomb slid out. But you can't sit there and tell me that her beating Carolina Pliskova, even given how, you know, again, the the poor results for Sloan in the run-up to this event. And look, you are contorting yourself. Again, if you're saying Sloan Stevens has had a good season to this point of the year, you look for Sloan Stevens, who overall now is, what, 10 and 11 on the year. She made a semifinal in Rabat in the lead-in, but, you know, wins over Babo, Savanareva, Peyton Stearns. I love Peyton Stearns, so I'm not going to criticize that win, but 7-6 in the third over Peyton Stearns is not indicative of, oh, yeah, I'm for sure going to beat Carolina Pliskova 0-4, first round of Roland Garros. I mean, you got to give credit to Sloan. She was struggling with her form. So what did she do? She went and played 125K where she won that event on clay. She goes and plays Rabat the week before Roland Garros, gets to a semifinal there, did all the right things to find her rhythm heading into this French. Now has a really winnable second round match and the draw opens up after you knock out the seed in Pliskova. Like, Stevens moved well. She She's so fluid as a mover on this surface, so good at sliding into her ball in a way just so many others aren't. I mean, again, of the upsets, Kochiaret over Kvitova, 3-4, and four, Shmidova over Kudermatova, 3-1, and one, Avenisian over Benchic in 3, um, Stevens over Pliskova, 0-4, oh and, and then Svitolina over Trevisan, 2-2, two and two, which I haven't even talked about yet, and I know traditionally wouldn't be considered an upset, but Trevisan has played the best tennis of her career in this 2023 season. She is someone who's made a deep run at the French Open in the past. And just given that, plus the fact that she's actually playing deep run at the French Open quality tennis now consistently on this surface, and I say that with it, you heard me pause there to say top, you know, deep run at slams. By that, I mean fourth round quarterfinals. I'm not saying she's playing the quality to win a slam yet or that she's even close to the Pagula level, let alone Sviantek, Sabalenka, Rabakina level. Svitolina beat her two and two. Like, that's the storyline. I don't know how else to say it. Parody is the name of the game. It's what makes this tournament so fun. Obviously, there are even more upsets on day three. 14 of the top 32 seats. 14 of the top 32. It's two less than 50%, folks. They were knocked out in round one of this event. 
and it speaks to the depth. I mean, again, I, I know I'm not sure if it was day two or three, but like you got the Andriva sisters on the rise, players like Osorio, Walter, obviously more pedigreed young players like Jung Chin Wen, Coco Goff, and I mean, Potapova is not exactly old. She's been thriving of late. Von Drusova is a former French Open finalist. She's like still 24 years old and she's playing better tennis. I don't know. Again, I apologize that that wasn't point by point. Oh, it was the 4-2 deuce point that Coach Chiaretto, she hit this great serve out wide and you could just tell Kvitova returning from her backhand corner didn't have the fluidity today. Now for what it's worth, you could tell coming out of the match that Kvitova did not have the fluidity on that given day and that's what's going to happen at this stage of her career. But like, I just think... When looking at the upsets, this is the last time I'm going to use this phrase, 30,000-foot view, I think there's a very clear-cut top three. I think there's a ton, I think Jessica Pagula is the very clear-cut number four. And then I think it really just depends on the week, the conditions, the surface, who's coming in with momentum. Like, I think grass court season is wide open, much like everything else has been, at least outside of the top three. And even then, I mean, I don't know. Because Sabalenka is, I mean, made what, a Wimbledon semifinal, I want to say, which is when she lost to Pliskova, and then Rabakina is your defending Wimbledon champion. Big three, everyone else. And I still don't, I don't think that compromises the quality of play. I just think that it, it's crazy to say six months in that you just feel so firmly about that, but I really do feel pretty firmly about that. And something significant would have to happen at this French Open, particularly someone not just winning this French Open, that's not Sviantek, Rabakin, or Sabalenka. They'd have to win it, and they'd have to beat two of those players, like definitively, for me to, to even reconsider where things stand. Because, yeah, again, on any given day, could an Ostapenko, who earned a really win stra- weird straight set win over Martin Sova, could she have one of those days where she's just electric? lights out and hits a Sabalenka or Sviantek or whatever it may be off the court? Sure. But can she do that three times or do it seven times throughout the course of a tournament? If she did, that would be a shocking data point. That would, I think, force me to have to uh, force me to reconsider some things. But like, if Pagula won a slam, how quickly would I be ready to coordinate it a big cor- uh, coordinate? Excuse me, it a big four on the WTA tour very fast. I need to see it to believe it. But yeah, those are your women's upsets. I suppose that's a bit of a tangent for you, continued from the opening monologue theme. But sticking with the theme of upsets on the men's side, another day where you're like, eh, I don't know how significant this is. Like, Fobio Fondini, really impressive, 4-4-3 and over Felix. Felix was dealing with injuries. He talked about gut health. You know, again, he was sick. He was vomiting. All the, I'm not going to use the D term for what he was having coming out of his derriere. Um, but all the different things like he didn't play particularly well it was a forgettable clay court season there's no doubt about that for Felix Ogier Aliasim this year and honestly it was a pretty forgettable first five months of the year like you hate to say it after again you felt like Felix maybe just maybe was starting to really build like that breakthrough like no 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 I just won what was it three events in a row or whatever he did at the end of last season you just felt like okay like now it's Felix's time for him. You know, again, what was it? He wins Florence. He wins Antwerp. He wins Basel. He semis of Paris into the tour finals. You just felt like, okay, Felix has found something. And yet, 
you know, again, looking at him here in 2023, 13 and 10 overall, the hold percentage has plateaued. The break percentage has regressed. He lost, what, four of the five matches he played on clay. Now, again, he was very banged up during this clay court portion of the season. And he's still 22 years old. I'm not selling my Felix Ogier Aliasim stock anytime soon. It's been a forgettable year thus far for Felix. No doubt about that. Particularly, again, he loses to Medvedev and Rotterdam, Medvedev and Doha. Uh, I mean, you're like, you know, again, he makes Indian Wells quarterfinals. And you're just, it has the match against Tommy Paul, the comeback in that round of 16. You're like, all right, this is exactly the continuation of the level we expected to see, given how strong he finished last year. And, Again, whether it's injuries, just a, a nondescript clay court. It, it's a very forgettable clay court season for Felix, who obviously has had a ton of grass court success and will be looking to rebound in a big way uh, during that portion of the, the season. But like again, I, I don't think I can call it particularly surprising for uh, Fabio Fognini to have won that event. Similarly, Yuri Lechechka is just f- good. I don't know how else to say it. Like, he is that good. He ha- His forehand is not going anywhere anytime soon. His, you know, again, defensively, how well he moves and just the serve as an easy weapon, the the continued depth he gets better at better at generating, in my opinion, from his backhand wing. Guy's just a tennis player. I mean, again, it was a really good match. It was a pick sort of match between he and Jan Leonard Struff, who's obviously one of your five biggest winners of the clay court season, to do what he did in Monte Carlo, to do what he did in Madrid, to be outside the top 100 at the start of February, and then to be the 21 seed at this year's French Open. Speaks for itself. And even with this loss, Lechechka still currently, excuse me, Struff sitting at 13 in the points race. He's also still sitting at a career-high 23 in the live rankings. Yes, he lost first round here. That'll be disappointing. Yeah, Leonard Struff did his freaking job over the course of the past three months. Man has positioned himself for probably as much money from a payday perspective this season as he has ever made in his career. And again, when you're making the most money of your career at age 33 and the oldest you've ever been, I hope to continue to make more money as I continue to get older. I think that's what we all aspire to do. And so again, Struff Dog did his job. This was just a little reminder from the 21-year-old Yuri Lechechka, who had been a little, inconsist- a little inconsistent of late after, obviously, the breakthrough quarterfinals in Australia. You know, again, round to 16, uh, excuse me, wins a match in Indian Wells, wins a couple of matches in Miami. You look at his clay court season. Round to 16, Monte Carlo. Quarterfinals, Banyaluka. Disappointing first round losses, Rome, Madrid, Turin. To come here, beat Struff. Now he has a very winnable match against Marcos Giron. He's currently sitting at a career high 35 in the live rankings at 21 years old. Whenever your ranking is close to your age, you're doing something really right in tennis. And you know, again, credit to all uh, credit to Lachetsch because that's the forehand, the backhand are real. He, he's going to beat a lot. He's just he's not leaving the top 50 anytime soon. And I know we've been saying that for a little over a year and a half now about Yuri Lachetsch here on this show, but certainly I think now people will start to believe it. Five-set win for Lachetschka, one of the many five-setters we've seen this week. I mean, again, parity is the name of the game. Uh, all due respect, I don't think Botik van de Senschkop losing to a guy in Diego Tarante who has won how many challengers uh, on clay courts over the course of the past year? You look for Tarante, who's made two challenger finals this season, one of which on clay. He's made one, two, three, four, five challenger finals since the start of 2021 on clay. 
I mean, look, the uh, the 21-year-old, now 22-year-old, excuse me, Argentinian, uh, have we seen him earn a win like this? No, this might actually be his, I think this is his first win at a slam, and he comes through qualifying to get there, has a very winnable match now against Jung Ji Jen in the second round. You look for Toronto, up to number 131, 22 spots in the rankings. That's a new career high live ranking. He's going to have that opportunity now to maybe dip his toes into certainly all the challenger-level grass court events, which you just don't find a lot of. Uh, like you're, It's just really hard to play any grass court tennis because there are so few events that even the challengers, the ranking cutoff is like 97, 98 in the world. Toronto's in the mix now. I mean, that's a really good result for him over Botik van de Schulp. And then how about Diego Schwartzman? When was the last time we could say good win Diego Schwartzman? Probably today as he knocks out Zapata Morales on day two. Excuse me, yesterday, one six six seven. 6-2-6-love-6-4. Two sets to love down. Hilarious as I type this out in my note sheet that Zapata Morales was the 32 seed, not Schwartzman. So this does technically qualify as an upset on my list. But like, I don't know. It was really physical. It was a really good match. One of many good matches we've seen on the day, the five-set thrillers. And I'll tell you what, it took me a second to build back my stamina, because I've been in the no-ad college tennis world, two out of three sets, and we're not ready for that discussion right now. I don't want to... I'm not a provocateur. I'm not just going to fire a take at you to try to make people angry, to try to make people talk about our content at Cracked Rackets. I know there are a lot of provocateurs out there. There are a lot of just content stealers out there, people who will listen to someone else's show, people who will read someone else's Twitter, aggregate their favorite thoughts, then present it as their own thought, even though it's very clearly something they had never considered once in their life, and they just want to be caught up in the trend of the moment. Should I name names? Do you guys want me to name names of who I'm talking about? Because to me, when I described all those negative qualities, in a member of tennis. I'm not going to describe this person as a tennis journalist because that would be giving them far too much credit. But in this tennis Twitter ecosystem, I can think of... I'm thinking of someone specifically. Let me just say that. Anyways, um, where was I going with that rant? I got so angry for a moment uh, about the... about the. Um, oh, yeah, I guess it's just like... It's a good five-step match. That, that's the theme. Like, it, it's pretty solid tennis. I don't have a definitive, like, oh, this point was the difference. And, oh, here comes Diego now. This is going to be that inflection point where he gets things back on track. No. It was just a good match. He was on the winning side of it. Tough loss for Zapata Morales. Desperately needed victory for Diego Schwartzman, who, despite all of his struggles for what it's worth, finds himself now 111. 111? What? I haven't been gone for that long, have I? I know we were in the college tennis universe. Oh, that's what the point of that rant was. 111 for Diego Schwartzman is not what I expected to be seeing. Also, back to the provocateur thing, I think there's a real case to be made for no ad scoring. I'm just telling you. I know you're all going to get mad, and God, best of five versus best of three is just a toxic discussion that leads no one anywhere productive ever because people are so firmly ensconced in their camps. It's like tribal politics, um, which we don't have to get into either. Um, but <laughs> never mind. I almost went on a full politics rant there because I've been I'm home this week. In case you guys can't tell, I'm back home with my parents, I should say, visiting my mom, my dad, my younger brother happens to be home as well. And a game I like to play is just rant at my dad as much as possible until he goes, Alex, Alex, that's enough. <laughs> like in the best way, he's like, I got it, okay? And that's just what I try to do. It's a fun game I like to play with myself to make sure your parents are engaged, right? Because 
I like to think I'm their best friend. Like that's what I always tell my dad. I go, "Am I your?" I, I've, I've already gone through the best friend theory with all of you cracked rackets people, but I always say the point of having kids has to be because like the first eleven years of having kids just has to suck because kids are selfish, they're self-centered, they're thinking about themselves. You know, again, all these things mean the same, but you have to feed them, you got to take them places. They have no added value other than like occasion. I mean, like six-year-old Nicholas Gruskin, my younger brother, he had added value. He was a pleasure to bring wherever we went because he was a little more self-reliant and was smart and funny even at age six and like was extraordinary. He was smart enough and funny enough to respond to anything, but because he was six, he was also gullible enough to believe anything you told him. And so six-year-old Nicholas Gruskin was the ultimate value add. Um, I imagine a lot of six-year-olds are not. And anyways, all this is to say, <laughs> where, where, where was I going with this parent rant? Um, no ad scoring's the way to go. Um, and yeah, kids, uh, you know, p- being a parent's got to suck until you're old, until your kids are older and they start to appreciate you. And then like, they just, I imagine like me and my two brothers, my parents are just so entertained. They're like, Oh my God, this is what we created as humans. This is an absolute blast. Anyways, I think no, no ad scoring is also entertainment an absolute blast. I really do think there's something to the sudden death aspect of it. You know, again, a deciding point. This one's for all the marbles. You feel the nerves, the intensity on a first serve, on a second serve, throughout the course of a point. You don't have any sort of margin for error that a deuce point allows you because, you know, sure, you lose the deuce point, you're down add out, but maybe a big first serve gets you right back to deuce, right? And so, anyways, that's a discussion for another time, as is the joys or lack thereof of parenting. But I'm just telling you, like, There's got to be, especially I think when it's all one gender kid, because, you know, again, when we were all going through puberty, like I imagine my mom and dad were like, oh, my God, like these kids are just so dumb. But now that we're older and adults and appreciate them, they're like, you know what? This ain't half bad. Anyways, just parenting. Second half of it has to be way more fun than the first. Um, As I am imagining, this event will be as well. And certainly it felt like for this first round, the first half of it, a little doo-doo the rest of it much better. That's my way of trying to segue back into the tennis, which I know is what you all are here to listen to. Again, upsets on the men's and women's side, day one and two. I apologize, folks. I'm, this is how you know I'm in prime podcasting form, and it's been a while. Women's upsets. Kvitova, Kudermatova, Bencic, Pliskova, Trevisan. Five seeds knocked out on day two on the men's side. FAA, Struff, Vandesen, Schulp, Zapata, Morales. Four seeds knocked out on day two. Now, again, there were a wave more of seeds up, uh, knocked out on day three, particularly Daniil Medvedev by Tiago Sabathville. I would argue our first relevant upset of the entire event. But we will save that discussion for our recap of day number three, let's talk matches that went the distance. There were a bunch of them on both the men's and women's side. You look at the women's seeds able to escape in three sets. Caroline Garcia, 7-6-4-6-6-4. I've talked about this all season long. We've now reached the point where the free ride for Caroline Garcia it's almost over. She wins a title right before Wimbledon. She goes on a run from there that has, you know, that launched Caroline Garcia back into the top ten, back into the top of the women's game. That free ride ends in three weeks, and so these are the last few, dare I say, free points for her to pick up on her resume, try to consolidate her spot in the top 10, top 8 of the rankings, and you know, for what it's worth right now, Garcia is at a career high, number 4 overall. She's 5 points behind Elena Rabakina. Now, Rabakina doesn't have the Wimbledon points from last year on her resume, so she shouldn't be 5 points behind Elena Rabakina, but... 
there's absolutely a world where Caroline Garcia ends this tournament at a new career high of number three in the rankings. And wasn't isn't that ultimately the goal, to continue to establish new career highs for the 29-year-old Garcia? That's what she's done over this past year. She's reestablished, reaffirmed her place at the top of the game, showed everyone that talent we saw from her early on was extraordinarily real um, and translatable and sustainable. And look, she's held serve over 80% of the time now for 12 months consecutively. That's elite serving. It's elite plus one tennis. Is it still one speed for Garcia? Absolutely. And it almost got her in some serious trouble against the very talented Wang Shiyu. But Garcia, 7-6-4-6-6-4, gumption check. And she passes it to get through the first round. Same deal with Madison Keys. It was strength on strength. First strike, the name of the game, Keys Kanepi. Keys, 6-1-3-6-6-1. As we know, don't let Madison Keys get to a third round of a slam. Because if she gets to a third round, now she sees the second week. Now she gets hot. Madison Keys, primetime performer always for what it's worth. I said this, I think, on Sunday, but Madison Keys right now, one of the 10 players in the women's game to rank top twenty in uh, five in both hold and break percentage. Those players right now, Iga top 10, Sabalenka, Krejcikova top 15, Kredge out of this event, Bedosa top 20 out of this event, Mukova still alive, she's top 25, Goff still alive, she's still alive, Keys top 25, she's still alive. Your other three players, though, Kirstea, Azarenka, Pliskova, knocked out. So half of the top 25 club already eliminated. Gets back to the theme. Parity outside of the big three. It's the name of the game on the women's side. You look at your other results. Osorio, three-set winner. Friedsome, three-set winner. Walter, good win for the talented young Swiss player, three-set winner. And then I'm telling you, how many times do I have to say it? The most improved player of the year who's not going to come close to receiving votes on the ballot, but when we do our year-end award show, we'll give her a massive shout-out. Vavara Gracheva is just so much better than she was a couple of years ago. Like, uh, even a year ago, she's just more consistent, and you see that confidence helping to pull her through a match like this, three sets over Golfi. You look for Vavara Gracheva. I mean, where is she right now in the rankings? Gracheva, 22 years old, she's 39. That's a career high for the 22-year-old Russian. 39 in the live rankings. We talk about Naskovas of the world. We talk about the Fruvertovas of the world, Alicia Parkses of the world. It hasn't been as in a, as pronounced of a way as those players, but man, is Gracheva in the middle of a breakout 2023 season. And we real recognize is real here at this show. We recognize the real progress of Avara Gracheva. Um, in terms of the men who went the distance, Cam Norrie's playing poorly right now. Like Cam, This is the worst tennis Cam Norrie's played since August 2020. It's just inconsistent. It's it's patchy. It's just there there's no through line it feels like towards from one point to the next and um again <sighs> I'm all in. Like I I just think the physicality he's still in the top 20. Like I I, I think if you would have told me six years ago when I was watching Cam Norrie as the number one player in the country at TCU, if you'd have told me he'd been a top 20 guy, I'd have been laughing at you. Like, come on. No, but seriously. Like, yeah, I think he'll have a nice career. He's a top 20 guy. He's been seeded now, what, like nine straight slams? And look, it's a good first-round win over a guy in Benoit Paire who had a rowdy Parisian crowd behind him. And God, do I love this crowd in Paris. We'll talk about that more when we talk about the day three Monfi match. What do the best players do? They find a way to win when they're not playing their best. Cam Norrie is not playing his best right now. Three-set win over Benoit Paire. And then it was the battle of, huh? 
between Shapovalov and Nakashima, like, again, there's no connective thread right now between what Shapovalov is doing from one point to the next. It's it's aimless. It's wander. You know, he's wandering out there. You can just tell he's searching. And that's the worst place to be when you can see a tennis player so deep in their own head looking for answers. Threw in five sets over Nakashima. Win's a win. You advance to the next round. You got to take it if you're Dennis. And again, for Brandon, really tough start to his 2023. I think some injuries have played a role in that. You look for Nakashima at this point right now, I believe, and I don't want to get this wrong, but I believe Brandon Nakashima currently sitting yeah, at 51 in the live rankings. He's got a bunch of points to defend down the second half of the year, including his first title in San Diego. And so, again, and, you know, this is a guy who made, what what was it, third round, fourth round last year, I want to say, Wimbledon, when he was knocked out by Kyrgios. We know Brandon can be good on the grass courts. We haven't seen the best version of Brandon Nakashima yet this year. I think, more broadly, the entire, actually, second wave of or next-gen 2.0 Americans. Brooksby's been out with injury. Nakashima's been hit or miss. We haven't really seen Sebi Korda since January. Slow and steady with that second wave of Americans. They were so fast out of the blocks. Maybe we need to pull the reins back a little bit and just, again, give them some time to develop. Certainly, we have that opportunity with Fritz, um, Paul, Tiafo, all the prime guys doing prime things right now. But, yeah, tough loss for B-Nock. Good win for Chapo. Your other three-set winners, Wawrinka, Kashin over team. And then, shout-out to my birthday brother. Maybe you all heard me slap the chest there. I always got to give a shout-out to my birthday brother. If you think I'm not going to be following Juan Pablo Varias from now until he strikes his last ball of his career, you don't know how self-centered I still am at 27 years old, even though I think I entertained my parents more. I mean, to have a man who was born on... The day of days, October 6, 1995, which I'm hoping someday is put in the Tennis Hall of Fame. It was the day both future 27-time Grand Slam champion Juan Pablo Varias as well as 27-time Grand Slam finalist commentator Alex Gruskin were both born on that day. Um, hopefully I call more than 27 slams, by the way. That's only what, like seven years of calling slams? I feel like a seven-year prime of my career would not be long enough from a sustaining one. Anyways, anyways, um, too much math in this show. Varias, five sets over Shang, cashing five sets over Dominic Team, who's obviously still searching for his best tennis. Speaking of best tennis, who were the top seeds who looked good? That's what we'll talk about here to end today's show. We'll rapid fire through them. Haddad Maya is your biggest winner on the women's side. 0-1 win over Tatiana Maria. Vekic, 2-5 over the always erratic Diana Yastremska. Your last one's Ostapenko who was down 4-1, I believe, in the second set against Martin Sova. Martin Sova accidentally hit Ostapenko a couple of times after some out calls, just was hitting the ball back to the other side. Ostapenko had already turned her back, didn't see it, so hit her on like the leg in the back one time. Not particularly hard, but definitely woke the sleeping dragon. And man, Ostapenko is capable, much like Karina Sabalenka, of just playing 10-minute stretches where it doesn't matter what you're doing on the other side of the net. If she's seeing the ball like a grapefruit... Ostapenko's ripping winners, and from 4-1 down, she started to do that. If she can ever find a way to just sustain that gear, she's back in the top five. Like, in terms of just pure power, balls. that's why I've said she's the house in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. Haven't mentioned that for about a month. Shout out. Welcome back. She's the house in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. That some Halloweens, the lights are off. There's candy on the front porch. Grab the candy and go. 
there are other times when the lights are brightly lit when they made all the effort where, you know, you got the jack-o'-lanterns, you got the blow-up things on the porch, you got the lights scattered around the house, you've got the gooey, foggy ghost stuff lining the ground that is a pain in the ass to clean up, but certainly does add to a Halloween, a Halloween decoration smorgasbord. That's Ostapanko. And when the lights are on, it's as fun of an experience as any in tennis to watch her play. We'll see if the lights are on throughout the course of this slam. Moving on, straight set winners, rapid fire. Vondrusova's back. She's the real deal. I would not want to play her as much as I wouldn't want to play anyone not named. I mean, Sviantek Sabalenka, Rubakin are the first three you don't want to play. Outside of that, I can make a case Vondrusova should be on the ten names uh, list of ten other names you wouldn't want to play at this tournament. Speaking of which... First time since 1983 a player has gone directly from the NCAA tournament to the main draw of the French Open and won a round at that main draw. Of course, I'm referring to NC State, now rising sophomore, although spoiler alert, I don't think we're getting her back, college tennis fans. Diana Schneider, 3-5 and five over Marino. She's joined in the winner's circle by 2022 NCAA singles champion Peyton Stearns, by the way, for what it's worth. Emma Navarro, also a three-cent winner on day three. So go college tennis. Go Balsova, former, what, Ohio State, and I want to say like New Mexico or wherever she transferred to. Um, she got a 2 and one win. Kayla Day, good to see her healthy, playing good tennis again. The American 5-1 and one over Mladenovic. You had... 2021 finalist Pavla Chankova, 2-2 two two over Fruvertova. Good to see her healthy, playing her best tennis again. Putin Seva threw in straights. Bernardo Pera, 6-2 over Conteve. That's just a darn good win. And then Blinkova, 2-0 over Bonaventure. That wraps up all of the women's results on the day. On the men's side, I know some of you are like, you're going to go 45 minutes and not talk Djokovic, Alcaraz, or Sinner, all of whom played on day two of this uh, event. What do you want me to say? Like... Djokovic and Alcaraz are your two clear-cut front runners to win the title. Said that on Sunday. Feel no differently about that here on Tuesday. And like, I, Kova's my guy. It's well documented. Go check the pods. That's my guy. His serve, his forehand were great. He put Djokovic under some pressure. You could tell, again, if this is first-round Djokovic and he's still just calibrating everything physically to prepare himself for these seven matches, or now six remaining... I don't care what Djokovic looks like till round three, round four, as long as he's winning. And that's what he did against Kova in round one. Similarly, Alcaraz was playing a different sport than Kabali through the first two sets. And everything was just in rhythm. Everything was so easy. Now, credit to Kabali. Mixed in the drop shots. Saw it was two sets to love. Said, why am I so stressed about it? It's time to start swinging freely. He did so. Made it a close third set. Alcaraz threw in straights. Again, he and Djokovic very much look the part. As did Yannick Sinner, 1-4-1 over Mueller. Uh, I said it on Sunday. If he wasn't in the top five of your list, contenders to win the title, you just haven't been watching the same tennis as the rest of us have here in 2023. The only issue for Sinner is, is he healthy or not? And he certainly looked healthy. In round number one, so did Francis Tiafo. That's probably his best win since Houston. Straight sets over Krajinovic, Chorich, four sets over Coria, Demon, a nice four set win over Ivashka, RBA, straight sets over Ebing Wu, Davidovic Fokina, four sets over the talented young Frenchman, Arthur Fees. Seats look pretty good so far on the men's side. Meanwhile, unseated players with success. How about Luca Van Asha? I mean, the French teenager, again. Van Asha, Fees, giving French men, uh, fans of French men's tennis. More to celebrate 
maybe than they've had since like the twenty since twenty tens when Simone, Sanga, Gasquet were all firing on all cylinders. Uh, Vanessa and Fee, Fees are two prospects definitely to get excited about. Other winners on the day. Taro Daniel, Daniel Altmaier in straight sets, Garon Karatsev four sets, Ji Jung Jong, Tomas Echeverry receiving uh, victories via injury withdrawals. Disappointing to see Jack Draper, Dusan Lajevic unable to play out their matches. Deuce obviously given his title a month ago. Draper given he's one of the most talented, uh, exciting young talented players we have in the men's game. But yeah. That's your results. Those are your results from day two. Again, the biggest storyline, the parity we see emerging in the women's game. I think the clear-cut contenders we have right now on both the men's and women's side, particularly given that additional knowledge that we know now on day three, Daniil Medvedev is knocked out of this event. But yeah, that's where things stood after day two of the 2023 French Open. And again, we will be back later today as it is a two-mini-break podcast Tuesday. I want to get you all caught up on everything that's happened through the first round of Roland Garros. Of course, the reason we're able to do that, make these impromptu choices to record multiple podcasts in a given day, is because of the effort we get from our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who, as always, has a f- editing job to do day in, day out. A shout-out to him, of course. A shout-out, as always, as well, to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com, the promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest items in the tennis world. With all of that said, of course, as always, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll see you all later tonight. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>